They couldn't have dumped. We had them in our sights the entire time. The driver got away. Coast Guard impound said there was no hidden compartments. There were no drugs on board. The only thing they found were Licardo's fingerprints. Dykstra was there. We saw two men in a boat. Can you testify to that? No, sir. What about the shipment? Decoy boats. Not with Licardo aboard. How solid was the intelligence? Straight phone tap, location, time, the whole nine yards. Tap still in place? Yeah. Stay on it. What's up? What's going on, sir? Uh, nothing much. Just uh, taking care of business around here. It's a nice day. It's 56, almost 57 degrees right now. Very nice. Uh, nice and sunny, not a cloud in the sky uh, <laughs> nice. as we are sitting here doing this uh, podcast. Nice, so winter, everything, nice winter day, huh? <laughs> nice winter day, yes. I mean, we yeah. have had our, our cold days colder than what would be normal for us right. but it is what it is yeah we'll yeah. take it that's for sure absolutely it's upper upper 30s or 40s we're supposed to hit 50s on the weekend coming up which is totally awesome can't i, I can't complain for uh beginning of february having 50 degree weather which is great yeah nothing nothing no. really no no um i uh i don't know if you saw i was chatting speaking of weather i was chatting with um on our Instagram with Marina, I guess she lives out in California. I don't know if she's LA or whatever, but with all the rain they've been having, was it like 10 inches, 12 inches of rain in the LA yes, area? Yes, and I think in LA, yeah. Yeah, pretty bad. I mean, uh, she said uh, she's doing fine. I guess her place, her house, whatever she has up there, she's doing good. But she said the neighborhood, there's a couple of uh, mudslides and getting around mm-hmm. the streets were flooded and all that. So, I mean, it it, it, it could have been worse, but, I, you know, I uh, like it to the term gully washer. That's a true gully washer. True gully. You know who says gully washer? That would be Tom Skilling of WGN. Tom freaking Skilling. I could have you killed if I wanted to. <laughs> Is that right? Is that right, Tom freaking Skilling, who's getting ready to retire after yes, Buku years? Yep. From WGN in Chicago, iconic weatherman. So what do you say we uh, we get going here? Get into this Let's episode, do it, huh? Mark. Let's do it. All right. So welcome back, Vice fans, to the Vice of Miami podcast for show number 66. Tim and I, we're both glad that you're joining us, and we hope you enjoyed the last show covering the afternoon plane. Blah. So as always, sit back, relax, grab a beverage. I just got a regular Coke here. And enjoy the Vice of Miami podcast covering season three, episode 18, Lend Me an Ear. And this episode's written by Dick Wolf and Michael Dugan. Directed by James Quinn. Original air date, February 27th, 1987, and is the 62nd episode overall. And Mark, our plot for this episode is Crockett and Tubbs' investigation of a paranoid dealer is complicated by a surveillance expert who decides to play both sides against one another. Proves being right an interesting, interesting uh, plot. Right. And right away, I got a question on the plot. Mm-hmm. And as we sometimes do in the guest star section, we'll sometimes we'll 
focus on one particular guest star or co-star or whatever. But sometimes uh, in this, I should say what we started doing in episode, uh, not episode, season three here. I'll get it out sooner or later. In season three, we're going to forego the accolades and info on guest stars, and we're going to focus on a particular person, like I said, or a place or a thing. This episode, we're going to do somewhat of a deep dive on the OCB, the building itself. Mark, the OCB, or the Organized Crime Bureau, is a division of the Metro-Dade Police Department. In our shows, we refer to OCB more so as the actual building, not necessarily the division. So we're going to focus on the building that the vice team calls home base. We called information from a few online sources, some being MiamiViceOnline.com and MiamiHistory.com. And in real life, this building was located at 615 Southwest 2nd Avenue in Miami across the river from downtown Miami. It was a historically designated piece of Art Deco architecture, specifically Art Moderne. It was built in 1942 by the Miami Shipbuilding Corporation, later called Miami Shipyards Corporation, as they were ramping up production for World War II. The large base relief panel above the corner entrance shows a man holding up a ship while kneeling in water and surrounded by a ship's helm, propeller, and gear. Sadly, the building was demolished in 2007 and replaced with a high-rise condominium building. Uh, in 2021, Tim, I, along with my wife, we stopped by while we were in the area. And it you could see, like, the outskirts of when sometimes you see the spider driving by. You could kind mm-hmm. of imagine it, at least I did, you know, imagine a smaller building being there and then seeing the spider drive by. Um, I'll try to find some pictures if I have any and post them. But if you do a Google map search, it's pretty much going to show the same thing. It's just a gas station across the street. And then you've got the condo building and I think another like office condo building. So, Right. So anyway, the Vice Squad is headquartered at the Organized Crime Bureau, or AKOCB. While the interior scenes were never filmed there, Vice fans have fallen in love with the building we see so often in the exterior establishing shots. The sign on the front of the building reads, Gold Coast Shipping. Presumably, this name is part of the Vice Squad's undercover work, though this was never explicitly stated. The working title of Miami Vice during its initial development was Gold Coast. The land was utilized as a boatyard as far back as 1896. The names of the businesses changed throughout the years, but the property represented nearly 100 years of serving the maritime industry. The Miami Shipbuilding Corporation played a pivotal role during World War II. In Stone's War, they forgot to put up the Gold Coast shipping sign. Instead, we see Miami Shipyards Corporation on the building, the name of the company which occupied the building in real life. We also get a unique look at inside OCB during some opening credits of God's work. It appears there's only a refrigerator over in the corner, but actually it's an actual kitchen with a sink and a stove, and also has a door leading to a back hallway. And also there's a payphone. And as you know, Miami and fast boats go together. One of only two PT boats were built by Miami Shipbuilding Corporation in 1941. They were then contracted to build 63-foot air-sea rescue boats for the duration of the war. PT boats were mainly used in the Pacific to torpedo Japanese shipping in World War II. The most famous PT skipper, John F. Kennedy in PT number 109. Tim, you want to wrap it up? I sure can. In the pilot movie, Brothers Keeper, the OCB interior scenes were filmed at a building located at 3033 Northwest North River Drive. 
Starting in Heart of Darkness, the interior scenes were filmed on a set constructed at Ivan Tor Studios, now Greenwich Studios, in North Miami. We could not find any other information in regards to the interior filming spots. We're assuming it's a, at a soundstage in Hollywood. And why don't we just quickly go over to guest stars and the co-stars. So, the guest stars, we've got John Glover as Stephen Duty, Martin Ferrero as Isidore Izzy Moreno, Neith Hunter as Trace, Anthony Holian as McGregor, Yorgo Voigas as Alexander Dykstra, and our co-stars, James Finnerty as Leon, and Julio Oscar Mocheso as Tommy. All right, quickly let's check out some Miami Vice in the news. And we've got some birthdays that we, one we missed and a couple coming up here. January 30th, Phil Collins celebrated his 73rd birthday. And on February 7th, Chris Rock will be 58 years old. He's in the episode Missing Hours in season five. And February 7th is also the birthday of the late Miguel Ferrer. He was in episodes Death and the Lady in season four and To Love and Hold in season five. And we just passed up the February 2nd birthday of Michael Talbot, a.k.a. Switek. He turned 69. And Mark, although this is not related, vice-related news, I just wanted to pass on that country music star. Toby Keith lost his battle with stomach cancer at the age of 62 on February 5th, which was yesterday. All right, we're going to begin the discussion of Lend Me an Air. And as the episode opens, we see a biplane flying into a waterway with Crockett and Tubbs surveilling from afar. The plane lands and there is an exchange of suitcases between the pilot and several men on a boat that came up to meet the plane. Crockett and Tubbs end up following the boat and it's on a high speed chase on the waterway as we see the biplane taking off. Eventually, the boat jumps out of the water onto a street and then Crockett and Tubbs arrive there and find one dead guy, no drugs. And the others on the boat have disappeared in what Crockett called a magic act. Magic act. I, this was a great intro. I absolutely love this. Yeah, it Showing was. The little, little canals in, in like the residential type areas. Totally mm -hmm. awesome. But and they were, they were zipping through there, man. Oh, they were. And then, then we're at OCB where Crockett and Tubbs are just filling in Marty and Stan that evidence text found no drugs or residual on the boat. Apparently, the, the team had been wiretapping these guys and felt the info would be good. And then we get a, just a real quick sidebar where Sonny gets a call from his bank about a loan that he applied for. So now we're at the residence of uh, Alex Dykstra, who was one of the guys on the boat here or making a deal. The owner, later, later identified as Alex Dykstra, is asking one of his men, how the vice team got so close to busting his crew on the boats in the plane here. He then suspiciously uh, looks at a female friend outside sunning herself by the pool. And then the scene shifts to uh, Crockett and Tubbs on the street here that Crockett was denied a loan from his bank so he could pay his bills. 
So like I think it was like a consolidation loan or something. Right. Yeah. He wanted to get his credit cards or something straightened out and all that. So actually they were on their way to see Izzy and now we're at Izzy's place here. Um, who is steaming himself under a towel to get rid of obviously a cold here. Izzy here was their informant for this bust, and Crockett felt that he was holding back info on Dykstra. Izzy tells him all he knows is Dykstra's moving up big time. He didn't say in what way or how or in what manner. Crockett tells Izzy they had surveillance but came up empty, and then Izzy just so happens to add to his story saying that Dykstra was working with Manuel Lucardo on a $2 million deal. Tubb says it's old news as Lucardo is dead, and Lucardo was the guy they found on the boat that landed in the street here. And, and we're thinking, did Dykstra rip him off? Can you imagine how painful it's going to be if you have failed to give us the complete and total skinny on one Alexander Dykstra? I already told you. He's a guy moving up to the very big time. And that is all that I know. <coughs> yeah, well, we had an elaborate interception set up on Mr. Big Time. And uh, we came up with one big goose egg. that. I'm just a purveyor of information. <laughs> However, I do have an addendum to the Dijkstra portfolio. Dijkstra and a gentleman by the name of Manuel Lucardo were said to have a deal somewhere in the elusive neighborhood of 200 million frog skins. It's old news is Lucardo had a little boating accident. A gentleman? Gentlemen, did not did not Sonny turn up the steam on him he, just that yeah oh he turned it up big turn time. the screw turn the screws on him <laughs> you, ah, you could hear it we got only that little bit of Izzy but it went a lot it stretched a long way oh, for absolutely. the humor so now we are back at the Dystra residence and Stan is on surveillance detail listening in inside we find an unidentified guy sweeping the home for bugs. He found two hardline taps, but no radio transmitter. He shows it to Dijkstra and uses equipment to fry the taps. And then Stan makes a call to the home, just trying to check the status of the tap, and he realizes they're done. And that was where this guy told Dijkstra, when Dijkstra answered the phone, and there was nobody on the other line, they're just checking, the, checking their taps. And then we find out that this guy is a high-tech sweeper who works for big money. And, and Mark, you got any, any comment about that? <laughs> you could already tell that this sweeper here, um, he looks we he's yeah. weird. And I'm just thinking, all right, can't these pivotal players here be just normal? I mean, you, you could be eccentric, but can't you just be normal? He starts acting kind of like wigging out, but. Mm -hmm. So anyway, now Stan, they're back at OCB and Stan informs Marty Crock and Tubbs. Taps are fried and that Dykstra is on to OCB surveilling him. Crockett asks Stan about placing radio transmitters in the house, and Stan says, nope. Crockett asks Marty about using former cop Steve, Miami Steve Duddy, to place or provide OCB with some higher tech taps. Marty says, he's unpredictable, but 
he approves after Crockett says he is the best in the business. So now we're uh, Crockett and Tubbs here pay a visit to Duddy himself at his house. He just so happens to live in, in some pretty nice digs here. He's got his house wired for sound with many security cameras, obviously. Crockett and Tubbs enter. I think the door was open, so they do a kind of a search with guns drawn, you know, thinking something's up when Duddy doesn't answer here. And then I we see him on the floor or somebody laying on the floor. I don't know if Crockett and Tubbs did. And then right next to this, you got a TV with the, and then the, all of a sudden a video pops up on the TV of Duddy. And then Duddy was the person on the end of the floor. He appears and they're laughing or whatever. So he just happens to be the same sweeper working for Dykstra. So then we go along here. The trio are seen eating lunch at the Big Fish restaurant. And Steve is telling his tales about surveillance work for politicians and people who pay him big bucks for essentially peace of mind. He tells Kraken Tubbs that he detaches himself from his work as an ear expert. However, the downside of his business is paranoia. Always wondering when he's going to be the target waiting for someone to come after him, obviously from the work that he does. He says he always leaves a way out. And then Steve gets a phone call or a message on his beeper or something like that. And he leaves the table when he gets this call. It's the same as being a cop, only nobody shoots at you. Not a bad trade-off. Yeah, well, it has its downsides. Yeah. <laughs> like what to do with all that cash? No. It's paranoia. You know, I know a million ways to watch somebody, to listen to them, to peel open their secret lives, but... Uh, then after a while, anything out of the ordinary started looking suspicious. And now, I'm always wondering when I'm going to be the target and how they'll get me. So now a quick scene here at OCB. Steve and the rest of the vice team is there. He's hitting on Gina while showing the team his equipment. Crackett and Tubbs, they're telling Steve that they need a transmitter in a house. They didn't say it was Dykstra's. He hasn't, they haven't gotten on to him yet. Um, but they know that the Dykstra has a sweeper. They don't know who it is. He shows them a microwave transmitter that cannot be detected. You know, we'll see soon enough, right? Mm-hmm. And he tells uh, Crockett there are 5,000 each for one, uh, each one of them placed in the house. Uh, Crockett pretty much balks. And then he, uh, Steve comes up with a rental plan here, you know, 1% a day. But with the old adage, you break it, you buy it, right? So now we move on to back to Dykstra's and it's nighttime. And in this scene, we see Crockett come to stand, arrive at Dykstra's place to place the transmitter. So they just rented them from Duddy. That's why Duddy didn't know it was them, uh, that they were working with the same guy on, on different sides. Uh, they check for, tri- uh, for alarm trips and then they, they use that spray to, bring up the laser and they were able to get by. But the question I have here, Mark is this rich guy has no perimeter security or outside cameras. Everybody's able to just waltz in his place. The doors aren't locked. Nothing. Right. Right. I mean, if he's doing, if he's so paranoid, he's got the sweeper in here. You think he'd want at least a camera or two outside, even those big bulky ones back in the day, right? Where it says, Mm -hmm. this is a security camera. At least you're going to see him coming. Yep. When inside the guards are sitting around as a team places bug bugs, 
And suddenly one of them hears something and the pair of guards do a search. Crocker tells them stay and get out just in the nick of time. As the trio leaves, Sonny gets a call from Gene who tells him that no agencies have info on Dykstra as a drug dealer. However, he was indicted in Greece for running a Ponzi scheme. Crocker thinks he is a Coke dealer, but it doesn't make sense why he would kill his distributor, meaning Lucardo. And Crockett says he's making money, but it's not on dope. What is he? What's his real game here? So now we're at Dykstra's home at the daytime, and Dykstra tells one of his guys to run a check on uh, some guy named McGregor, as he wants to know what type of shipment he's running. So maybe now this is, could be the drug thing, right? We'll see. We'll see. Uh, as the two are walking downstairs, he asks this guy if anyone had been inside. Uh, this part of the house that they were at, looking, he was staring at the statue, and he's told no. Alex sees something out of place, this statue, and he tells his guys to call Duddy and have it swept. So now, a little bit later, Duddy arrives, and he finds a bug. A bug that can't be traced? Hmm. Mm-hmm. He realizes that the vice team's target is indeed his client, Dykstra. So... He already knows what's up, what's going on. He finds all the hiding spots and even re-rigs one that was hidden. I think it was like in a phone jack. It was behind some oh, cover yeah, plate. Yes. It was behind mm-hmm. a cover plate. So he wires it the proper way. And then he shows Dykstra the one he found in the ashtray. Run a check on McGregor. I need to know the earliest we can get the ship out. Okay. You been in here today? No, sir. Anybody? No. Get this sweeper. Yes, sir. Get these sweeper. I don't think he's talking about a swiffer. Huh? <laughs> mm-hmm. So Dexter here, he's complaining about how he got bugged a second time. Well, hey, dummy, put up a camera and he wouldn't get even bugged the first time, right? Duddy. Tells him nothing is totally secure, which is kind of putting yourself out of business, don't you think? You you say you got all this uh, technology, but nothing's totally secure. Anyway, if they want to get in, they will, which is true. Dykstra uh, asks about a piece of equipment that Duddy has on, on the side here, and it's a voice stress analyzer, Duddy says. Dykstra asks to take it for a test run. So he goes outside and he questions the chick we saw earlier, sunning herself, and he doesn't trust her. Uh, he asks if she's having an affair, and when the analyzer so sh- shows that she's under stress, he surmises she's lying, shoots and kills her. She grabs her, uh, grabs her belly and falls into the pool here. Uh, he tells Steve that one thing he cannot tolerate is dishonesty. We're assuming... It's his wife, girlfriend, or whatever, or... Yeah, I think a girlfriend, really, probably. Yeah, I mean, we're just assuming it was a girlfriend. So there was really no story or them going out saying, Mm-mm. why would you be cheating on me? It was just, this chick is sounding herself. Are you cheating on me? No. Yes. Boom. Hmm. So anyway, uh, later on, Steve calls homicide with his voice altered with some of his technology to report a homicide at the Dykstra residence. And wouldn't you know it, the homicide detective doesn't take up this call too seriously. He's like, yeah, come on down. We'll make a report. 
Uh, but anyway, he takes the info further, follow up, and goes from there. I think when it goes back to the affair, I think he said, asked her if she was having an affair with Lucardo. But if you remember earlier when he was wondering how OCB got so close to him, that's mm-hmm. when he looked at her because I th- I have a feeling he thinks that she was feeding information right. she was to somebody name. else, you know, like pillow talk, whatever right. it was with Lucardo. Don't know. Just a thought. Back at OCB, Crockett is, is complaining to Steve about how his bugs were not so-called not being detectable. And Steve says, not so if someone knows where to look. He says Dykstra is a great sweeper. He asks who their target is, but Stan tells him that's classified info. But Tubbs does tell him that they think this guy is importing coke. Pocket says they called Steve in to get the info on their target. So as an alternative, he offers them a sound vibration mic that can be placed on the outside glass for the mere cost of 200 bucks a day. And then later on, we see Dykstra is being brought to an unknown location, blindfolded, where he meets with a McGregor. McGregor shows him a case full of cash. And my thoughts when I wrote my notes was, is this counterfeit? It seems as if Dykstra is some sort of a middleman or money launderer. Hope you understand my security precaution, Mr. Dykstra. There's never a need to explain security, my friend. Then let's dance. Fine. My face 12. It's not negotiable. It's quite a bite. Not if one considers the 88% benefit to the client. My end of the deal is easy, Mr. Dykstra. I got all my property right here. You'll have the problem of moving it out. Everything is easy, Mr. McGregor. Given the know-how. And a time schedule? Client's preference. Tomorrow night, if need be. I like that. And we were led to believe that this was Coke, the way they had these things wrapped up in bundles, wrapped up in plastic. And then, you know, he slices it open. It's all just cash. All cash. You got it. All cash. So now we're at the homicide division here. Kraken Tubbs are called into homicide and are listening to the call that was received by the detective about the murder at the Dykesar residence. The reason they're called is the detective ran Dykster's name and it alerted him that the vice team here had a case running on him. Tubbs asks how he got access to classified info and the detective here tells him that his 13-year-old could hack the department system. <laughs> uh, anyways, it came in as a 911 call. Otherwise, they'd have no recordings. So they got lucky on this one. So now we're at Duddy's place here. They bring the tape of the 911 call for Steve to listen. And he tells him right away, it's electronically altered here. He Obviously, it's him doing this. He He's the one who made the call, but he's like, yeah, electronically altered. Therefore, therefore they're not going to be able to get a voice print on it. Um, he tells Crockett and Tubbs to pick up Dykstra based on this tip. And then Crockett says on what? And then weeks of surveillance, you know, they came up empty. So... Later on, we see that Duddy is running his own surveillance on Dykstra himself. He records a conversation between Alex and a woman named Mary. He congratulates her on the new baby and is sending, quote-unquote, a gift. Is this code for the McGregor deal? Later on, uh, Duddy is seen uh, splicing tapes of this conversation 
in the end, making it look like he's setting up a deal with McGregor himself. So later on, Dykstra meets with McGregor, and McGregor here, I think they're on the uh, dock site here. He's prepared to celebrate their deal with some champagne, and then Dykstra pulls out a gun and pops him one, and I think he uh, goes into the drink. So now we're, now we're still back at Dykstra's at Nice, and Stan is conducting surveillance. Duddy arrives and places the device on the glass so the sound transmitter in place could pick up the edited tapes for Stan to hear. Despite conversation makes it appear as if Dykstra is taking a lot of cash to McGregor. Duddy is setting up his own client. Stan calls it in to the team that they have what they need to bust Dykstra. And then later on, Crockett calls Marty and says that McGregor has found canal bobbing, but says that they have nothing connecting him to Dykstra. Marty orders an expedited autopsy to get the time of death and the ME tells Crockett that based on liver temp, McGregor died about 11 or 12 hours prior, between 7 and 8. And I know there was a little exchange between him and the ME. And the ME made it seem like he took a meat thermometer from their kitchen. And it was something about having to clean it up to bring it back to his wife. But obviously, they were being facetious about right. that. I, I, I was just going to put a... A bonus, bonus trivia question. What what did he use to take the liver temperature? <laughs> it was a meat thermometer. Allegedly. I don't know if he did or if he right. really did that. Yeah. But <laughs> that's what just he a said. Day he in the off, just another day in the office to the Emmy. Gotta there have you some go. Fun. So now we're at OCB here. Sonny is still complaining about his loan rejection while lamenting all this. Crockett realizes they're moving cash. Everyone who Dykstra is working with, Lucardo, McGregor, and has turned up dead, they're moving cash. They had more cash than they could launder. Are they moving out uh, money out or are they moving money in? So he figures, no, they're moving money out, not in. Stan plays the spliced recording for Crockett Tubbs and Marty, and then Marty says then Dy- Dykstra based on this. Stan tells him the call came in between 9 or 9.30, and Crockett says that cannot be right as McGregor was killed between 7 and 8 p.m. per the M.E. Stan confirms, call came in 9.23 p.m. exactly. And then Crockett states that every wall they've run into points to an area of expertise. Burned out bugs, altered voices, time-shifting conversations. So now the writing's on a wall here. Crockett says that Duddy has his hands in more than one card game. Crockett and Tubbs return to Duddy's and they call Steve and out on his double agent duties, and he denies knowing that OCB had Dykstra under surveillance. Crockett tells him all he had to do was open his mouth and tell him Dykstra was his client. Steve tells them he made a lot of cash, and OCB just lost a little time. He tells Crockett that if it were not for him, they would have nothing on Dykstra. As Crockett and Tubbs leave, Steve tells him about Dykstra having a voice stress analyzer, and he says, you lie, you die. And then... Sonny and Rico go to Dykstra's and find another bug sweeper by the name of Alvin DeBardo. DeBardo tells them it was his first visit to the home as Sonny's pressing, his, pressing him up against the vehicle. But DeBardo says he uncovered a rare and expensive bug and showed it to Dykstra, who then left his home in a rage. Pocket and Tubbs know that he is headed for Duddy's and they roll out. So Dykstra is obviously on the Duddy here. Found this super expensive, highly technical bug. There's only one person who could probably have it, right? 
So Dexter arrives at Duddy's to take care of his business. Knows he's being played big time. Steve here, he's watching for multiple cameras inside the house, and he's got a shotgun here at the ready. He pops off one of the henchmen named Miguel, and Dexter and the second henchman start spraying the area where he was. I think it was upstairs or something with bullets. Mm -hmm. They may have had some machine guns. Crockett and Tubbs roll up here, and they split up cover to more ground to cover more ground here. Crockett finds and then kills the other henchman as he tries to open fire on him, pops him one. Uh, Duddy distracts Dykstra with a TV video and then promptly, uh, promptly drops him like a bad habit. Pop, gets him. Crockett and Tubbs enter, tell him to drop the shotgun and treat, start treating him like, uh, like a criminal here. And he tells Crockett that he walked up to the edge, but he didn't cross it, dealing, you know, meaning dealing with OCB team and, and Dykstra here. So anyway, Crockett pretty much takes him in, takes him into custody. You're locked up, pal. So now at OCB, Crockett tells Marty that Duddy interfered with an undercover operation and should be charged accordingly. Marty tells him that the DA wants him kicked loose, set him free. Crockett obviously is not happy, but then Stan says maybe Steve deserves a dose of his own medicine. So later on at Duddy's, we learn that OCB has hacked into his camera system. Duddy is in his office there. He turns on some power supply. And then all of a sudden, a video pops up on one of the screens of Crockett saying, we know what you did. And then it starts popping up on all the screens. And uh, he's always going to be looking over his shoulder. Obviously, they played on his paranoia that Steve spoke of earlier. And then a paranoid Duddy looks over his shoulder during the freeze. Hello, Steve. You know what you did. You'll have to live with that. But I just want you to know, you won't be alone. I'll be watching. All right. IMDB gives us a improved 7.9. Tim? You know, Mark, I really love this episode and agree with the 7.9 rating from IMDb. The central character of Steve Duddy played a double agent between OCB and Dykstra. He spoke of his paranoia because of his profession as an air expert. However, he made big bucks off of the paranoia of his clients, namely Dykstra, by selling them on how his bugs were undetectable. Oh, here's something that's foolproof. You know, he kept on going on doing this between both Sonny, Rico, and Dykstra. Once he realized that the OCB team was conducting surveillance on Dykstra, he played both ends against the middle. To me, this was reminiscent of Phil the Shill selling you Swampland and Arizona type of thing, but able to insert himself in and just, he was making the bucks off of other people's misgivings or their paranoia. One thing I could not figure out was was why Dykstra was if was he a middleman in a money laundering scheme? And if so, did he kill off his clients as a ripoff? Just wondering. This was a nice bounce back for Dick Wolf and company. Damn, I agree. Definitely, definitely a much better episode than the paltry afternoon plane. This brought back all of Vice pretty much working together. Good police work, a good story. Although I thought the Dykstra extra story would have panned out a little bit more, you know, maybe a little bit deeper into whom he was dealing with and what they did 
in how he got involved. You know, obviously should have been drugs, but Castillo was back with his nonchalant matter of fact way of dealing with this. And then I'm still missing Zito as Switek's partner in the surveillance van. And I, I just missed that banter back and forth, even though it was a, you know, typically always a few seconds, maybe a minute, if that. I'm just missing that banter between both of them. They could have done away with the very weak Crockett Bank problem story. I mean, they had. Yeah, none of that was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he mentioned it in the beginning and then towards the middle, and that was it. Did, did he get his loan? Did he have to take borrow money from Castillo? Who knows? Should have just dropped it. Is it something that's going to show up Maybe. in a, a future episode? Maybe. Don't know. Maybe. Uh, nice return for Izzy, even though he was sick as a dog. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, obviously, Duddy here was double dipping, essentially. And then, like I said before, why do the key players like Duddy have to be weird? It's one thing being eccentric, but just weird. Again, good, simple story, which I liked very much. And it, this whole thing, this whole story, and even the styles, the, the fashion, it reminded me of a season one or a season two episode. So, a good comeback. All right, let's move on to the music uh, for this episode. First, we have Be My Enemy by the Waterboys, and that's when Crockett and Tubbs chased the boat. Respect Yourself by Bruce Willis when Duddy was sweeping Dykstra's place. The Ballad of the Little Man by World Party when Crockett and Tubbs pay a visit to Duddy. Climb by Peter Himmelman when Crockett, Tubbs, and Switek sneak into Duddy's to install new bugs. on to our goofs, fun facts, and location. In the first goof, when Croc and Tubbs go to Dykstra's house and are met by LaGuardia, both Crockett and Tubbs can be seen opening their doors and stepping out of the Testarossa twice. A fun fact here, several of the night scenes appear that they were filmed with night vision, or at least that's what we're led to believe, as evidenced by the green tint. However, it's evident that the green lighting we used to give this just effect as other colors can be seen in the shots, which would not be present with real night vision. And Mark, we have a location here, 1727 West 27th Street, Sunset Island 2, Miami Beach, and that was Dykstra's house. And another fun fact, Dykstra's house here was previously used as Guzman's house in Season 1's Evan, and was later used as Palmo's house in Season 4's Honor Among Thieves. <laughs> And now let's go over the trivia portion of this episode. In our last episode, we asked, what was Sally Cordova's room number? The answer is room number six. This show's trivia question is, when Crockett and Tubbs visited Izzy, and he was trying to make himself feel better with his cold, what did he do to his cigarette? After he came out from under the steam towel, what did he do to his cigarette? And I've got a bonus question. What is Izzy using as the mechanism for his steam? You can post your answers on this episode's Facebook post, or you can email us at MiamiVice at Duck.com. Now we have arrived at Snurd's Chalkboard of Wisdom, where we hope to inspire, enlighten, or make you snicker a little. 
both the world of Miami Vice and our current world at large, we encounter many challenges we work to overcome. In the interest of creating a family-friendly atmosphere, through the show and on our social media, we would like to offer you some parting thoughts, a simple quote, phrase, or words of encouragement, or funny quip to you, our listeners, because without you, our friends, we'd just be talking ourselves. And we say friends because that's what we consider all of you who follow our show and social media. This episode's quote is, a little late, but poignant nonetheless, I'm walking in 2024 with a clear heart and mind. If you owe me, don't worry about it. If you wrong me, it's all good. It's a great lesson learned. If you're angry with me, you've won. If we aren't speaking, it's cool. I wish you well, and I want you to feel great. If you feel I wrong you and you have told everyone but me, peace be with you, but please forgive me. Life is too short for me to have pent up anger, holding grudges, or to not give the same love and forgiveness God has given me. Here's the 2024, a little late. And that's a wrap for today's episode. Thanks for so much for tuning in and joining us on this review. We hope you found it exciting and entertaining. And if you enjoyed it, please consider subscribing and following us on our social media channels to stay updated on our latest episodes. On Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, we are Vice of Miami Podcast. Your support means everything to us, and if you have a spare moment, we'd be incredibly grateful if you could give us a rating and review on those channels. Thanks again for listening, and we can't wait to share more with you soon. So we'll catch you next time on the Vice of Miami Podcast on Show 67, covering Episode 19, Red Tape. Now... Well, what do you say we call it a day, pal? <laughs>